Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I always need to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to continue to send your comments or suggestions or questions directly to me at CEO at reincanada.com, CEO at reincanada.com. If you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, with your family, with other people you know, and why not share it with people you don't know? Let's get it out there. So please rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for sharing the show, for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. My guest today, Michael Moll, who alongside Thomas Park and Laura Forty is one of the co-founders of Redium a Canadian corporation founded in the fall of 2017 in Vancouver, British Columbia. And right from day one, Michael and his partners had a clearly stated and global vision, actually, which is real estate for everyone, where they envision a world where everyone has a chance to create wealth through real estate investing using the foundation and platform of blockchain technology. Now, almost two years later, the team has traveled to nine countries, secured $830 million in committed assets, and built a team and a tech platform that is positioned to disrupt the biggest asset class in the world, real estate. The Redium platform speeds up global real estate transactions with near instant clearing and settling, lower costs, reducing fraud, and helping to democratize real estate. Their global mission, Redium, is democratizing real estate investing by removing the barriers to entry for billions of people around the world. Michael and his team are driven by their values of innovation, integrity, and inclusion, and to create a more inclusive and prosperous world. Michael's proud and passionate about innovation being at the core of their DNA, both as a company and as individuals. Redium has harnessed the power of innovation every day to deliver on their mission to the future of real estate. As innovation is their DNA, Michael believes integrity is the heart and the soul of greatness. As a platform for international real estate investments, he takes his responsibility seriously and holds all his customers and partners to the same standard of integrity. Michael and his team believe inclusion and diversity makes for a better workplace and a better world. 
Their mission is deeply rooted in financial inclusion, and they are driven to be building a platform that will positively impact millions globally. So having said all of that, I'll get on with the show and my conversation with Michael Mall. Michael Mall, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Finally, we get to uh, have a conversation. So welcome, Michael. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. I've uh, been looking forward to this uh, for a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to jump in and have a discussion. Now, you've been on the rain stage a number of times now, and, and you're always bringing lots of interest. Like people are going, wow, this is really cool. And, you know, Michael and Redium and, and he's all fired up, but that's really cool. So, but what the hell does that mean to anybody right now? So let's just back up a little bit and say for the rain members that are listening to this podcast, this is Michael Mall with Redium. And we're going to talk to Michael today about all that he's done and got going on. And for those of you who don't know rain or don't know Michael, let's start there. So Michael, I'm meeting you for the first time, and uh, I say, Michael, what do you do? What's your uh, What's your answer to that question, my friend? So I'm Michael Mall. I'm a co-founder and chief product officer of Retium. That means I lead the technology team, and Retium is a global real estate equity crowd investing platform and exchange. So that means we allow anyone to compliantly invest in income-producing real estate for starting at $100. Um, Earn, earn dividends, earn appreciation, and then eventually liquidate uh, their position without affecting everybody else uh, in the investment. We're opening it up to millions, if not billions of people who've been excluded from real estate. And it's really exciting for us. I mean, that leads in, that can lead into a hundred directions of this conversation, but let's back up a little bit. You're talking about investing in real estate for as little as a hundred dollars. Uh, I want to know a little bit more about Redium and, and, is this let's let's give listeners a kind of a context. Are you talking about blockchain? Are you talking about tokenization? Because all of those things that you're talking about investing in real estate and then crowdfunding, there was a whole bunch of sound bites in there. So why don't we walk through a little bit about the platform so that people have a context for it? And then I'm going to dig into who you are and how did you get here? So give me a little bit more information about what the platform Iridium is and how do I invest a hundred bucks and buy real estate? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks, Patrick. That's uh, that's actually a really good uh, insight there. So, what we've done is we we've, we've taken advantage of blockchain technology. Uh, we built on top of IBM Hyperledger Fabric. So, this is a, a business blockchain, and, and what we're using the blockchain technology specifically for uh, is is a digital ledger um, of a few things. So, we're looking at a ledger of people, their identities, and their accreditation. Right? Are they an accredited, non-accredited investor? Uh, then we're looking at uh, a ledger of, of properties, that is the title, all of the documents, and, and the companies that pertain to the real estate investment. And then finally, the most important ledger for us is the ledger of shares. Right, When you're doing real estate investing, you're actually investing in LP, limited partnership units, or REIT units, or corporate shares that then own uh, the asset. And that's, that's how we split it up. Uh, by keeping this share table or cap table, as some people call it, uh, digital and on a blockchain, which means it can't be tampered with, uh, it, can be, it, it can be protected. And, and more importantly, it becomes easier for uh, one uh, person to sell their shares to another person and for us to do the clearance and settlement of that transaction online 
using the blockchain where all the counterparties have access to the same information at the same time. So no more faxing back and forth. And this means we're really reducing the legal and accounting admin by 90%. And that's where we get the cost savings, where we're saying we can bring down that uh, investment amount to $100. And really in Canada, most people we talk to are sitting between five and five thousand and and twenty five thousand dollars on the retail side. You know, even you look at some like some of the Rean members. Uh, but we also have a global vision for for having the global south, people in developing countries being able to participate. So we see it as if you have a real estate fund and you're looking to raise five million dollars, you know, it doesn't matter where that money comes from as long as it's clean, meaning there's no anti-money laundering, um, and as long as it's compliant, meaning it's in line with who's allowed to invest, how much security and regulations. But if we can pool that money efficiently for you, that is by keeping everything digital, having uh, things go through like DocuSign, um, et cetera, then we really can really offer a, a great service to, to asset owners and funds. But then at the same time, letting these people in who, when they look at their money, whether it's $100 to $5,000, it just doesn't seem like enough to get into real estate traditionally. But through crowdfunding, uh, it, it really allows those people to make an impact just as though they were, they were a bigger player. So I want to really kind of back up and really dumb this down because when you look at Redium, you're using blockchain technology, tamper-proof, all of, or, or you know, every transaction is actually recorded. So there's no way to mess with it. And that's, that's cool. in in terms of a security position, but let's even get a little, uh, let's, let's get even clearer on, I'm going to ask you some really basic questions that I just for clarity. So if I'm, I, I, I understand the model of Redium because you and I've met before and we've talked about it, but I want to take a position from, I know nothing. What's the difference between investing a hundred bucks through Redium, the platform of Redium, and investing a hundred bucks in a in a REIT on the stock market. Yeah, so so the main the main difference is uh, so stock market REITs are 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 massive uh, in the sense that they have huge costs to go public. So if you we are looking at a stock market REIT, you can go on there, uh, you can invest, you can earn dividends. Uh, the biggest difference is. Uh, a lot of one, a lot of people uh, don't actually have access uh, to REITs. So especially when we look at millennials, one in a hundred millennials uh, in the United States knows what a REIT is. Um, and so, and then those REITs have paid a lot of money to go to a public on the stock market. When we look at private REITs, private REITs are really where more where we target. We target private REITs, private funds. Uh, these are smaller cap uh, entities. And for them, uh, we then give them the same uh, uh, characteristics as the public markets. That is the ability to raise and syndicate widely. And then secondly, the ability uh, to find liquidity. And then so to simplify that even more is that with Retium, you can go on and you can invest into an individual property or into a fund, right? So that's one of the fundamental differences as well than going into REIT where it's just a basket and it's opaque. Uh, the second thing uh, for Retium is that we're doing it where uh, you can then go in, uh, you can do it all online. You don't have to speak to a financial advisor. You can scan your identity card. You can load a wallet, choose a property or a fund. And, and then in the end with private investments, when everybody buys together and then everyone has to sell at the same time. Right. And so that's what creates that sticky liquidity. So people have been syndicating and crowdfunding for a long time, but again, mostly they do it with their people that they know. 
right? So our platform allows them people to syndicate with strangers and we're the middle uh, man who's actually making sure everybody is, is in line. And, and then when you go for that liquidity, let's say you did invest $5,000 and it's gone up 10% and you want to sell. When you usually have private investments, you either have to sell back to the REIT or to the fund and they have to buy you out. So then they have to either keep um, money on hand to do that or liquidate some of their assets to do that. And that becomes a tedious part of the operations um, and costly. The second way traditionally then would be for you to find your own buyer. Now, again, without a marketplace, you go find a buyer, you have to get two pairs of lawyers involved. And then there's lots of documents that are going back and forth. These are either being faxed and verified. And so what's happening in, in the private read market is people are saying that it might cost them three to $5,000 just in legal fees to exit their position, plus months and months of, of verifying and finding that buyer. And then in the end, the last thing is they have to give what's called a liquidity discount. So if something is priced, let's say at $5,000, uh, and uh, you're going to sell it for maybe 4500 because there's a notion that if it's so illiquid, then the next person's going to have to deal with that. And so they get this discount. So, uh, you know, scholars are looking at it from research is around 20%. And so that's what's happening in the private uh, syndication and private read markets that we've really gone after though that section and saying, you'll be able to get in easier and cheaper and you'll be able to get out uh, easily and cheaper. And that allows for more assets that have never had the opportunity to be held by different people or to be liquidated, right? So that's really where, where Retium is focused. In the Retium platform, how are you actually screening properties? So if I have a, let's say I have a small REIT, let's say I have a $35 million REIT, private REIT, and I have a, a, a good solid handle on whatever real estate lives inside of that. How do I get that on the Retium platform? Yeah, Patrick, that's a great question. So uh, we've, we're really priding ourselves in, in, in following some great due diligence best practices, uh, especially from the broker dealers that we've engaged. So we actually have an investment committee. So uh, my co-founder, Thomas Park, uh, has been in real estate for 15 years, uh, sold over half a billion dollars of uh, residential real estate, uh, mainly out of Vancouver, BC. Uh, we then also have uh, Thomas Tiedman, who's our enterprise advisor, and he works for the Blackstone Group. He's a senior vice president there. Uh, and uh, so those two gentlemen plus six others are on our due diligence committee. We then have a, a group of 600 high-performing realtors who are, gonna, who are sending us uh, inbound leads. All of that goes to the due diligence committee. Uh, we, we look at background of the, the, the principles of the fund. So from background checks uh, to financial analysis to the market, uh, something that we're excited about is is looking at rain and ruckus, and I think that's going to be uh, an amazing way to to find great assets as well. Also, even in the rain community, uh, I think when we went to Fast Summit Pitch, uh, we were introduced to a few people there, and so really we 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 really see that this is a very very relationship driven business uh, and industry, and so so we're leaning on a few of those of those pillars, but it is, it is very exciting because. Our committee can vet, but our network also is doing a great way of vetting. And so those are the two ways we're finding people. And then you as a private read, you're looking at maybe a six-week process of really getting to know who you are, 
what the read is, what's the history, what's the future. And once that's done, though, actually getting a deal digitized can happen uh, within a week. The difference maker is if you already have your read set up, we can move very quickly. If you don't have a read set up and you just have a couple properties, then there's probably a four-week uh, window where you actually have to create all of that documentation. So uh, so that's that's our process. Now, in this particular format, are we, in fact, uh, if there's a REIT that is, well, whether it's existing or it's a startup, is there an offering memorandum that has to be put on the platform along with the the, the real estate itself? Michael, like, is there, so if I'm, if I'm going to invest in it, do I have an offering memorandum that I'm reviewing and looking through to invest my hundred or, or 10,000 or $5,000? Exactly. Exactly. So we, we, so we, uh, we take, we use, uh, offering documents So in Canada, we use the offering memorandum and in the United States, we're using, uh, reg D for credit investors, uh, reg S for international investors and then uh, Reg CF, which is uh, for retail investors, which is the crowdfunding. In Canada, you just use an offering memorandum, and then there are exemptions, right? There's a credit investor, friends and family, and then crowdfunding uh, exemption rules. Uh, and actually, that's where our compliance engine on the platform kicks in, because well, you know that's a fancy way of saying we have a piece of software that just enforces the rules that Canada has put on securities. And so that is, how much can you raise with one offering? How many people can be in the offering? Where those people are from? Can they be Canadian or foreign? How long they have to hold that investment? And any other rules that pertain to to following compliance rules. So our software just makes sure that we're checking, oh, you have a BCID and you're an unaccredited investor. Your max investment is $1,500 to $5,000, for example. But, oh, you're from Ontario. Uh, You're an unaccredited investor. You can invest up to $10,000. Oh, you're somebody from let's say, um, Peru, uh, you can't invest in this deal because this offering document is not for uh, foreign nationals. So those little rules, usually what happens uh, traditionally is you're getting all this inbound uh, demand for a deal. And then you have an admin team that's waving through and qualifying people and validating people and getting back to them and back and forth. And so what we do is we really just help you as that REIT or asset owner not have to deal with any of that stuff and we're processing it, and so it really uh, reduces a big burden. And you're just dealing with the relationships that are that are eligible uh, for your investment. Now, you know, blockchain is such a familiar term. I mean, blockchain. I mean, we, you know, people still, but yet I still run into people who confuse Bitcoin with blockchain. There's so it's still so new. Can you right. give me a little bit of a give me an overview? Because blockchain is what allows us or allows you to do a lot of the things that you're doing, you know, in terms of how things are programmed and the processes and who qualifies for what, what you just described. Give me a little bit of, or, you know, give me a little bit of a background on why blockchain is this. And I won't go down a bunch of rabbit holes, but one of the other questions I've, I've got is who else is in this space in Canada right now? Cause I know in the, right. U, the U S they're adopting it much quicker at a much quicker pace than Canada is. But tell me a little bit about blockchain so that people understand exactly what Redium is in the world of blockchain. And, and one of the questions I have is, am I, in, am I investing into Redium with Bitcoin? Am I having to go and open up a Bitcoin or, a, sorry, a, a cryptocurrency account and then paying it through my and then investing through a, a cryptocurrency account? How am I, how am I doing that in your platform? 
Right. So, so I think those are all really good questions and, and, and thanks for giving me the space to answer those. So the first thing with, with blockchain is, is blockchain is a, is a databasing technology that allows you to, to really uh, have a, a very clear way of having all participants uh, see all transactions on a ledger, right? And so when you look at the real estate industry, uh, real estate is, is an industry uh, that has multiple transactions uh, between money, people, um, assets, right? And, and those three things uh, need, to, need to be very, very strictly recorded to say who paid, who owes, who owns, and who should be transferred to. So those, those, those key ideas uh, must must really be enforced. And so what a blockchain does is allows when you say uh, Michael paid $100,000, right? That yeah. transaction gets inputted. Now, traditionally, that would be inputted in by a lawyer to a bank, and then, and then they'd have to get a copy to the, to the other real estate agent, there'd be a copy to the regulators, et cetera, et cetera. And every time you add a new person in, uh, there's a more complex way of like making sure everyone has the same information, whether you're emailing back and forth, whether you're faxing the letter, et cetera. With blockchain, what happens is all the participants, when one transaction is done by one person, it is automatically sent uh, to everyone on the network to be able to see that that transaction happened. Right. And so, and then what happens on the second part is that no one can tamper with that transaction. So all of the people uh, in the network can really un- understand that if I say I own a uh, hundred thousand dollars in, in, in this property, everyone knows it. And I can't wake up tomorrow and see that someone has overwritten that or someone has changed that. The second thing is, uh, is for auditability. That means that now uh, everyone on the network can audit all of the past activity, right? Uh, without having to engage any of the other stakeholders. So it becomes a very, very powerful tool for clearly knowing, again, as I said, who owes what, who owns what, who has been transferred to, um, you know, uh, what, what is in the network. And so when it pertains to Teridium, uh, you can really see that as being a very, very powerful way for us to know about assets and, and who's participating in that. And so uh, finally, when we look at Bitcoin, that's just a digital form of money, a digital currency. Now, the reason why it really uh, took off is when you have uh, a blockchain ledger, it means when one person sends money to another person, everybody on the network knows of that transaction, but you don't need someone to clear the transaction. I send it to you. It goes through the consensus and updates it on the network, and then you you have that money. I no longer have it, and and is a clear definition of I had it. You now have it. It's updated in in the ledger, and we didn't have to have a middleman uh, involved in that. And so, because it keeps a very great record of the history of the present and the ability to to change all of that, um, it became a really good use case. And you can see now that what. Facebook has done is Facebook is actually about to create their own cryptocurrency uh, called Libra. And in the end, again, what, what makes that very powerful is that when Facebook ado- adopts a currency like this, is it's much easier for somebody in, let's say, Kenya to send a cryptocurrency transaction to somebody in Venezuela 
than it is for them to use Western Union that might charge anywhere from 15 to 30%. So that's really the power. And then for them in Kenya to know as soon as they send it, they can track it. And I think that actually is really the core of blockchain technology is the ability to track any transaction in real time. So let's back up and let's talk about bank wires, for example. Bank wires have been the, the main way of moving large sums of money for a long time. But when you go to the bank, and you know we have um, some of our uh, technology team is, is in India, for example, you go to the bank and a bank wire is so opaque and it takes you know three to five days, sometimes two weeks, depends on where you're sending in the world. It is quite affordable, I must say. Bank wires are you know are our affordable way of doing it, but they're so inefficient because once the money is in the system, it's opaque. You don't know how many banks it's going back and forth, where it's corresponding, what its status is, and so that lack of information is very has a huge strain on on processes. So, for example, you know when we work with our platform, if somebody wants to pay with a bank wire. They'll go through our entire system. They'll put in an order. I want to order 100,000 shares of, of REIT A. And then it says, how do you like to pay? So you want to pay with uh, Bankwire or you want to pay with uh, cryptocurrency. If you click Bankwire, we give you some banking information. You go, and do, you go and make the Bankwire. You come back. You put in a reference number. And then we wait. And then in that time, we've created an efficiency where I blocked off 100,000 shares for you for three to five days while we wait for your Bankwire to come through. Now let's switch back to cryptocurrency. When you go in, you choose the cryptocurrency payment tool. It's like PayPal, right? You pay. I can see that you've paid. You know you've paid. I can see that it's cleared. I know that it's not going to bounce. And my system knows that. So then we update the register and say 100,000 has been sold efficiently. So that's really the power uh, of the currency is that. Um, of those digital currencies. Now, the downfall, though, is some of them, they fluctuate based on supply and demand and speculation. So that, I think that was the big downfall of cryptocurrency going mainstream is that you know they want it to be money and they want it to be a, act like a stock as well. And I know it's kind of the reasons behind it, but that's really what doesn't allow you to make it a traditional payment method that you keep for a long time. This is where, going back to the Facebook coin that's coming out is that it will act like a, a stable coin, like a regular currency where a dollar today is a dollar tomorrow, unless you know you change it into other uh, foreign currency like the euro. That's what's going to allow people to really take advantage of this technology. And I think, you know, not to sidetrack, is that a massive way that the Facebook coin will be used is for remittances, specifically for people working in North America and sending money back home to Asia. Right, because it's just way it's gonna be way cheaper than Western Union. And again, that track and trace ability is gonna give people that comfort. And then that stable price as well will give people that comfort to actually make it a transaction. And that's gonna make it much better for banks, I think. So IBM is actually creating a world wire system started in Asia where they they're making wire transfers act more like e-transfers in Canada. Right. And I think those are the type of things that I'm very excited about is that, you know, I'm not attached to cryptocurrency. I'm really attached to more uh, efficient digital uh, monetary transactions. And so I think banks are great because, you know, they have insured deposits, et cetera, and a really great regulatory system around them. So if they can adopt and create technologies uh, for, for digital transactions, we're all for it because they have 
billions of users who are comfortable with using those services. And in the end, we just want to make sure that we have the best experience for people who are trying to work with us. So I, that, that's, that's, that's something that I'd put in there. So on the, on the blockchain side of it, so you, I, can, I can get you, I can get my money onto the Redium platform, but I want to dig into this a little bit just in terms of having people understand really the future. We've talked, you know, at Rain, we talk about the futurization of real estate and it seems like future, future, future. The reality of it is, is it's here today. It's, it's happening right now. I mean, Redium is just one great example of it. And what is that going to mean to the masses going into the future is yet to be seen. But one of the questions I have is, I, I, I can get you that 5,000 or 50,000 or whatever the number is onto the platform, but how liquid am I now? You know, given that uh, the, the platform that you're on, am I as liquid? Can I liquidate 24 hours later because I changed my mind or 24 days later? What, what's the liquidity side of it if I'm uh, investing on Redium? How am I getting my money out if I wanted it out quickly? Right. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. And so the securities regulation, uh, you're not going to be as liquid as the public stock markets. Uh, and I think that's something to really, to really make sure that the people know. But you're going to be way more liquid than a traditional uh, real estate investment where you've syndicated. Just, just by the fact that you would be able to sell without the other people in your party. Let's say you went in with six people or 600 people, right? Traditionally, everyone has to buy and hold and sell at the same time. With us, there is securities regulations that says you must hold for at least a year, right? That's the maximum for holding for a year. If let's say you're a non-accredited investor, and depending on the offering document that you put out. So it really is offering memorandum by offering memorandum or in the States, Reg D, Reg S. So it would be, could be anywhere from three months to a year, but there is one document, which is a Reg A plus in the States, which is like a private IPO that would give you liquidity right away. So you could buy and then, you know, theoretically sell in 24 hours. But let's say for this case, three months to a year, holding depending on the the rules of the deal you're in and then after that yes you would have 24 7 liquidity but it really does come down to if there's a buyer that would like to buy that from you so our promise to you is that legally and compliantly you will have the right to sell the second thing is we will have a marketplace and we will be constantly advertising and bringing in investors but there's no guarantee of liquidity someone may say hey you know what I don't want to buy that at that price. But what really kicks off the liquidity and where we see this is two things. One, you will have the ability to discount. So let's say you say you have you have a position and you and you and it's earning you know five percent, and then you discount that by you know three to five percent. That becomes a very attractive buy for someone in the secondary market. But the second thing is, let's say again, for example, you have a hundred thousand dollars in a property and you want to liquidate with our platform you don't because these shares are digital you don't have one you know certificate share certificate it's a digital digital shares so you're sitting on 100,000 you can sell this to multiple people so you don't have to sell your stake as one stake and so again that then really then multiplies your chances of liquidity because you can say okay I'll get 10 people at 10k each or I'll just sell 10k at a time you know, I'll, I'll just sell half and keep half. So those are the things that we're looking at that will really allow you to, to, to find that liquidity. Uh, you know, we are engaging lots of different groups 
Now that is other brokers, other exchanges to look at ways that we will be able to give you that wider syndication uh, for your for yourself. But really, it's going to come down to marketing. And so, you know, we're really looking to our partnerships around North America to make sure we have a big enough catchment of investors uh, to be able to create that liquidity. And so it's, it's a big task, um, but we're up for it. When I look at uh, Redium, so it's just I want to keep digging into it. Now, this is I don't want this to come across as an infomercial for Redium. I mean, because I, it's not the intention of it. I really want to understand this is new technology. This is a, a way different platform than has ever been introduced before. And and this is really, you guys are quite a, a long way ahead of the curve or where things are going. And so I'm trying to really provide some context for listeners as to where technology is taking the real estate investment market. And Redium is one of the leaders in this particular space. And, and so I think it's helpful for us to really understand the, the workings of it from my perspective. Now, if I'm going on the Redium platform and I want to invest in real estate, am I actually picking a project that I'm investing in? The specific REIT is one example or a specific project that's on that platform. Am I picking and choosing where exactly I'm investing and how much? Yes. So, so you're, you're going to look at, uh, when you get onto the platform, you're going to have options to do specific projects, specific properties. And, uh, we, we see that, you know, different subclasses in the real estate uh, industry are, are doing well and have the projection to do well, uh, in different cities around North America. And so in, in one city, it could be residential, uh, multifamily in another city, it could be commercial in another part of North America, it could be self-storage. So what we're looking at is we're, we're, we're not just focused on one uh, subclass. We're focused on really strong investment hypothesis properties plus his, histor- uh, historical data. And so you'll go on there and you'll say, hey, well, what type of return? What's my uh, risk uh, factor? Am I looking for a 5% return? Am I looking for a 12% return on cash? And then am I, am I looking at residential? I'm looking at commercial uh, and then in those, you might have a trophy asset single building, uh, you might have a REIT. And so, uh, again, this, this is really coming back to really understanding what are the best asset classes uh, in, in what parts of, of North America. But the second thing is what are people interested in being exposed to, right? And so uh, it's been really fortunate for us to travel. Uh, I did nine countries, uh, 30 conferences last year, but we just learned. We learned what people's demands and desires are. Um, and, and, and where, where the markets are, are going. And so we want to make sure that we have a marketplace that has choice. A lot of the people who've come into this, uh, industry before us, uh, we're really looking at just focus on commercial real estate in the United States. And I think that's because it, it's a massive, uh, sub asset class. Uh, it's, it's very, very developed and very entrenched. Uh, but what we saw was the opportunity for, especially when digital technologies have come on just, just social media. I think just social media, the way the internet has connected another billion people, I think we're 3.5 billion people on the internet, has really changed who can reach the information, who our audiences, right? Not just uh, corporate East Coast America. And so for me, it's very exciting. And, and so then because we're not just serving that one audience, it really just changed what type of assets are on the platform. It's so interesting. Some people just want to own in their city. Right when you look at certain uh, retail investors, they say, "I want to own my city, I want to own my country, I want to, I want to own part of a hotel." So there's a bit of an emotional side to it as well. I think you know people 
intrinsically understand real estate as a long-term asset that can appreciate, right? And then after that, it's more what type of real estate do I want to buy and hold? So it's been very, very interesting for us to learn that and then put that into the platform in the sense that let's give people some choice. And then also this next year for us is going to be about learning. So give me an update on Redium, where you were and where you're at today and where you're heading. Where are you in the process of the of the, the model build out and what you're expanding on? Give me some updates on where Redium's at. Yeah, so where Redium's at uh, today. So we... Uh, Founded uh, in uh, 2017 in the fall, and then you know, incorporated in the beginning of 2018. Spent the year building out the technology, uh, so we we have our our technology built. Then we spent the last three months really building a solid uh, extended real estate team. Uh, so uh, we we've really brought on some people who really understand how how to market real estate. Uh, they are market leaders in in in, in presale condos uh, around uh, North America. And so they're giving us that strategy. Uh, and then right now we're integrating with our compliance, which is a broker dealer in the United States and exempt market dealer in Canada. Um, and so th- that, that requires paying for a few licenses. And so once that's all finished up, uh, we will be launching with our trial. So early investors, we have 10,000 uh, on the wait list. Uh, we'll be able to to take a look at a, a few projects, uh, very small. Um, we're just going to start by really just trying this out, so one or two condos. And then in September, uh, we will be looking at doing uh, our first REIT, uh, which will probably be around a $20 million value. Get that uh, locked under our belt, learn, and then, and then come back for another season uh, with a, a much more robust offering having learned from the two stages that we're doing uh, coming up. So when you're looking at, you know, where real estate is today, where it's been and where you see it going, what, what, you know, do you have uh, some, some observations, uh, you know, some, what have you learned in this, in this kind of space about real estate and the tradition of real estate versus the future of real estate is, are you starting to see where it kind of gets messy in the middle or how are you seeing it moving forward around technology? Yeah, so I, I see the, the, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is the self-serve nature of, of where the industry is going. And this is not just Retium. Uh, you know, we're studying heavily what's happening in the States. So you're looking at iBuyers, you're looking at uh, things like uh, Zillow, Redfin, but you're also seeing that the retail consumer or investor or the general population hungers for information now, like the public markets, in the sense that people are so busy. Uh, I remember even like a, a RAIN member said to me, you know, I really focus on my properties around Calgary, somewhere that I can drive to, right, and, and really do their due diligence. But then you see have other groups who say, um, I want to really travel across Canada and I wouldn't mind being on a laptop or a phone and getting all the information coming there. Show me video, show me, show me a virtual reality, you know, give me the PDFs online. Uh, let me, let me have a webinar, you know, versus, versus uh, driving out to, to a meetup. So there's so many different things, but I think the, the digital is complementary to all the incumbents right now, right? Because I think what digital allows you to do is, is, is multiply your audience and also allow them to interact with your offering at their convenience. And I think that's the big flip that, that, that we've seen over time. But then it's also challenging for certain groups 
to embrace that if their business model is built uh, is built differently. So, for example, real estate agents, right, who want to show people open houses versus people saying, "Hey, I'm I'll, I'll just look at stuff uh, online," right? So, I think there's a bit of tension there. Um, I think there's there's, there's a um, there's a sort of a, a, a moment where uh, some of these uh, players might want to reinvent themselves, where they're offline and, and offline and online. Uh, I think for us, we see it as let's just help reach our audience where uh, they feel comfortable and where they feel really supports their lifestyle, and so that's time and convenience, you know, access points, etc. When you uh, consider what's going on in the banking world, particularly in Canada, and I know that you're, I mean, you're thinking globally, but when you consider what people are investing in, in terms of hard assets, do you really start to feel and sense uh, this kind of a direction with real estate investors? The technology's still new and you're, you're moving forward, but how are you dealing with or, or, or answering the questions around a stock market versus the platform called Redium. What's the big advantage if you were to say one or two things? Why would I say, no, I'm going to go with the new technology versus the old model? Right, right. So, so I think, I think the, the big thing is that we're looking at is, is one, with, with Redium and, uh, versus the stock market, I think we're looking for the underserved uh, groups of people in, in two ways. So one, the underserved asset owners or funds that could not make it to the public market because of price, because it's too expensive to list. Uh, it's tedious to be there, um, but they want to find liquidity. So these are, we've talked to family offices, hotel owners, developers, etc. Uh, and then you talk about the private REITs who, again, would love to offer their uh, holders that liquidity. Instead of waiting seven years to sell, they now could find liquidity earlier. So that's our one side of customer. On the retail side, like I mentioned before, one in six millennials in the United States has exposure directly to the stock market. One in 26, sorry. And then one in 100 knows what a REIT is. So we just see that the the ability for the stock market to reach uh, these underserved populations, like I haven't seen a REIT that really has taken advantage of social media, influencer marketing, like just these these things where there's a new audience there. They have a very heavy, you know, um, you know, sales force that that deals with a certain characteristic and we find a lot of people are saying the baby boomers are are well serviced and and have very high levels of financial literacy right and so you know we do get a lot of people saying hey what what about a public read what about this but then when you look at people in the emerging economies of the world and 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 people and then young people in north america what we call the global middle class you're looking at 1.5 billion people who have zero exposure to the stock market or zero information about REITs. Um, and so we just see that as one of the great uh, information opportunities to say, hey, here's a great thing. Have you heard? Do you know? And here's a way you can access it, right? You don't have to go into financial advisor. You don't have to uh, sit through some uh, through tedious things. Uh, you can self-serve uh, with us. And so we see that we're focusing on how do we get the next generation in? And then because in 10 years, we see that most of these things will be digitally, if not in 20 years. And so we look at the next generation, the people who are teenagers now, when they come through the economy and, you know, yes, they may have limited 
income or spending now, but that whole generation is going to go from everything from being presidents to being bankers, to being millionaires, to being billionaires, to being et cetera. And then you think about the transfer of wealth that's happening from the generation just before baby boomers to baby boomers, to millennials, to the next generation. And how are those people going to be asset owners? Are they going to want to be a digital asset owner? Are they going to want to be able to to buy in and buy out? Are they going to want to be part of a world where they might own property in Thailand and in, in, in Kenya and in Canada and have that sort of portfolio? So we just, we're just timing that. So for example, another thing with the stock market is, is that it's very regionally focused, but having a private stock market that can have a global audience is, is really, really appealing. And then the final thing is I think the timing where really, you know, we're on the same side, getting assets on your personal balance sheet. I think, you know, that's one of the big missions of Rain, And you see it, you know, time and time again, when people stand up and they talk about having doors. And I think we're looking at those, that next group of people who it's been really tough, but to do so, but um, now they see with the uncertainties in economies or trade wars or things like that, you kind of want to have assets on your personal balance sheet. And, and so then, I think there are a lot of people who are trying to solve this a lot of different ways. We're just one of those of those ways. But it's exciting to see the trend that people are waking up to think, okay, how can I make my money make money rather than sitting in a bank account, especially when interest rates get slashed. You know, I love seeing those ads where it says, okay, you know, high interest savings account 0.75%. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's different here than other parts of the world where other parts of the world, people are saying inflation is, you know, from seven to 15% a year. So if you just leave your money in the bank, you're, you're getting a hit. So if I can get three or 4%, I'm actually, you know, making 25% in my company, in my own country. So you're going to see that, that activity happening as well, where people are saying, okay, how do I protect my money from getting eroded? So we've been seeing that a bit too. Well, so there's the whole Redium concept is I'm a huge fan of it and, and I've been kind of watching a little bit. And of course, we're working in the background on some things with you, uh, Michael. And, and so that's kind of cool. But now I want to know about Michael. Give me some background on Michael. Like, how did you get on this particular journey? So when we're, when we're talking about seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results, I'm, you know, I'm watching Redium. I'm watching Michael kind of be the, you know, the kind of the front man for their steering the ship. How did you embrace this technology? What brought you to where you are today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'd start a little further back. It's, you know, I'm actually from Kenya. So I'm a Canadian permanent resident now, uh, soon to be a citizen. But I actually came to Canada 11 years ago now, 11 years ago this August. And uh, I came on a scholarship to study business uh, at the University of British Columbia at the Soto School of Business. Um, and it was, it was amazing. Uh, they really sold me, uh, I think they took all their photos on Canada day. <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously probably the most beautiful place I ever seen in the world. I uh, didn't know it rained, you know, 90 to 120 days, <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, and so really got out here and, uh, you know, I was always interested in technology, even from high school, my friends and I had built like a mini social network. We were looking at, at, at the technology for many different applications. But uh, it was really when the iPad and the iPhone came out that I had the light bulb moment. You know, being on this coast, being just in the same time zone as Silicon Valley, learning about all the great things that Apple and Microsoft and Google were doing, 
and just seeing the impact and the ability for these things to scale, I saw apps. Okay, apps are going to be amazing to do data entry, data collection, e-commerce from a mobile device um, and, and not having to own any of that infrastructure. People are going to pay to basically build infrastructure everywhere that other people can build on top of. And so I just started learning as much as possible and uh, had three uh, startups that I had, had founded uh, before uh, Retium. Uh, and one of them was in the concert ticketing industry. Um, and, and then the next one was in the urban agriculture industry, teaching people how to grow food on their balconies and backyards. And that was social impact. And I was always thinking about, you know, I took a minor in sustainability. I said, how can we make technology, you know, be make humans more efficient? And one of the things was just paper. How do we eliminate all the paper, all the forms, and, and just digitize that? So whether it was ticketing or there was, you know, people growing their own food and, and being more sustainable that way and having an online, online education platform. And specifically with Retium, I actually met uh, my co-founder, Laura, at the National uh, Crowdfunding Conference of Canada a year before. And, uh, you know, she was impressed with, with what I was doing with technology. And then she introduced me to Thomas, uh, our other co-founder. And they were, uh, they both had their own businesses, Thomas on real estate, Laura in digital marketing. And uh, they had uh, an idea, a passion project that they wanted to, to build an app to help people manage their travel when they go traveling. <clears throat> so for travel tourism. And so we started building that, uh, that product and we actually brought on a developer from Brazil, uh, Leonardo, uh, who is now working with us here uh, in Canada at Retium. Uh, and so we all worked really well together. But again, that was just a passion project uh, for us, building that, that software out. And then the next year, Laura and I actually went back to the crowdfunding conference. And uh, this is when uh, blockchain was, uh, was really coming in to the forefront. And one of the things that was happening there was the regulators in Canada had said, how can we use these emerging technologies like blockchain to, to enforce certain compliance rules, et cetera. And it was a, a hackathon, so a, 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 a software ideas competition. And so we researched and we saw, wow, land title registries are uh, fraught with inefficiencies, corruption, fraud, et cetera. And blockchain technologies, as we said, a, 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 a non-deletable ledger that can be shared becomes a very, very good use case for a land title registry, especially in an emerging economy, namely Kenya and, say, Philippines. Uh, in those two countries, you're looking at about 20 to 25 documents, four to five government agencies for you to transfer a title. And that, so that is just like the sheer cost and efficiency of that, one on a cost, on a time-wasting but then the third thing is you now have so many points of failure, points of fraud, points of mis miscalculation, et cetera. So we created, we basically came up with a system to say, if we digitize this, put us on a blockchain, you're going to basically create a more efficient system, a safer system, um, and, and allow for assets to be transferred and, and transacted more in, in a minimum way, way more uh, efficient way. So we won that competition. Um, and we were very excited and we saw, okay, this is, you know, this is something that is, is massive. And, you know, we came back to Thomas and we really looked at how do we, how can we implement this? And, you know, Thomas had seen the broad scopes of what we had come up with, uh, but what really hit home with him was when you digitize titles, not only can you, the transferability, but what we had outlined was the ability to share ownership, right? Was a better beachhead because with a title registry, you're dealing with governments and, uh, it, it's going to take time. There's lots of bureaucracy. 
And uh, it wasn't really in our DNA as individuals to, to really engage governments and sell them. But on the other side is we are consumer technology specialists, digital marketers, uh, residential real estate. And so we saw shared ownership uh, through this technology would be a, could have huge potential. And, you know, just to extend that story a little bit further is, you know, Thomas has been uh, making his, his clients who are mostly buying real estate as an investment, uh, great returns. And so uh, his mom came to him one year when he had made uh, a couple of clients um, over a million dollars flipping properties for them. And his mom said, here's $30,000, go make me the same returns, you know, relatively. Uh, and he said to her, well, I can't do anything with $30,000, especially in Vancouver. And she said, well, you know, obviously I'll help you. I'll get six of my girlfriends together. We'll all put $30,000 together. That's enough for a down payment. Um, and he said, well, okay, even if we get you some high interest mortgage, you're all 75 years old plus six ladies. And uh, you're all going to be on title. What's it, what happens if one of you dies? It's messy. It, 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 it's tedious. So we really saw that pain point. We saw if we can help with our platform, if we can help that situation, how many more people are in that situation? How many more dead leads do realtors have or people who couldn't qualify? How many people are sitting on the sidelines of real estate markets in, 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 in all the great cities of the world? And so, you know, we researched for two months and we realized that there was something here and that was back in the fall of 2017. And, and then we, we went forward. So when you were back in Kenya, was your education in technology? What was your background as a kid growing up? How did you kind of go down this path and end up on the path of technology? So I, I think, you know, my, uh, my granddad is, uh, is, is from England and uh, he's been an entrepreneur all his life. And uh, actually, we, I went to a private school in Kenya, which was a British private school. And so very fortunate to have uh, the internet early, um, to be exposed to technology early. But I think the big, the big thing was really the mix between the two of entrepreneurship and technology. And so in, in the early days, uh, we had internet at our school, but internet was not so widely available uh, throughout Kenya. So I was always sitting there just thinking, okay, I see this technology, I see what it's going to do, but I see that it's, it's very inaccessible. So I, I never really thought about um, the e-commerce aspect of the technology. It was more, you know, digital publishing and social media and social networking, things like that. Um, but I was always an entrepreneur uh, in my own right, you know, from when I was very young, like I lived in a uh, gated community. So it's, it's a bit different here. I know we don't have them as much, but in Kenya, you, you have them a lot uh, where you have just a community of houses, it's gated and fenced. So it's just for better security and it's sort of middle upper class neighborhoods. But so what happened is a lot of my friends, uh, I had a lot of people from around the world because I went to an international school. So uh, you have the UN headquartered for Africa in Kenya. You have all the multinational uh, banks and oil companies and mining and et cetera are headquartered in Kenya because it's the most stable country in the region. You're looking at Congo, Sudan, Ethiopia, da, 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 all that stuff. So you have a big you know, population of foreigners. And so they you know, my school had probably 30 to 40 nationalities in a, in a class, uh, in a, sorry, in a, in a year group, right? So right from grade one, you know, I had a kid from Japan and, and, and a girl from Sweden and kids from Israel and someone from Pakistan. So, you know, my ability is to be really see the world and see that 
people are really the same everywhere and have the same desires and cultural context is something different and very much needed to be understood. But I just kind of saw this global world from when I was very early. So I always thought about wanting to participate in a global world and in global business. And, and so, as I said, when I came to university and I really saw a mobile phone technology, that was the light bulb to be like, okay, this is the, the medium. This is the infrastructure for like kind of fulfilling that dream of participating on a global scale, right? Um, I just always found that very fascinating for me, especially when you study like Seth Godin's, you know, tribes, which talks about, you know, they may not be two people in your family that, you know, have the same hobby or interest or worldview as you, or even like five people in your, you know, in your company or in your, in your street or, or the town that you live in. But through the internet, there's definitely a million people out there who are, part of your tribe, you know, you know, shared view, um, you know, shared hobby, et cetera. And so, you know, using the internet technologies to bring these people together and then monetize that or celebrate, et cetera, was also something that was very, very fascinating, uh, to me. Um, and, uh, and so I was always just constantly researching and learning, uh, about, you know, what are other people doing? What are the opportunities? And then I really, in my university days, just started nerding out on emerging technologies. So I was always trying to keep up on, you know, whether it's, it's AI or whether it's, it's new types of cell phones or new types of hardwares or sensors or et cetera. And then because I was in the business school, I was always looking at what is the commercial uh, aspect of this. And so I think that was something that really I'm very happy about is that if I was just in some, you know, high, um, uh, if I was just in computer science or in engineering, a lot of that stuff goes very R and D first and then, and then looks at commercialization. But you know, there was, I think a gentleman who came to our school when I was in my second year and he said, you know what, you know, we have enough research papers. He said, let's start making companies. Let's start making businesses. Let's start actually putting things into action because a lot of the time, the gap between the research labs and commercializations uh, is massive. There's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of lag, but you know now it's time to actually just get things out of the lab and into the hands of of customers and start testing and trialing. And so that kind of really definitely inspired me. And then the startup movement of move fast, break things, uh, the lean startup methodology, the the idea of um, you know really getting down to what's called a minimum viable product, which can allow you to really get something out of customers. Uh, quicker rather than sitting in the garage forever and, and and learning as you go. I really embraced that a lot. And, you know, we made a lot of mistakes, but also learned a ton. And and so now I really feel that I've taken all of those experiences and bundled them together. And finally, I'm at a stage where I've learned enough over, you know, seven years of being in technology to actually make a decent contribution. I have a lot more to learn, but it, it, it's, you know, it's different being 21 and, and having a startup and, you know, building apps and being 29 now and, and, and having that experience. When you look at, you know, you said we talked, you, you mentioned it earlier, which was three and a half billion people using the internet now. So imagine that, and the internet still continues to grow. It's been around 30 years now. So think about, you know, when we, we reflect, I, you know, we all have the experiences of internet early on. Of course, I'm much older than you are. So I literally was an early adopter of the internet and, and email. I mean, we didn't even know what that was. And we were 
taking it on because it was really cool. But having said all of that, when you look at where blockchain is at and where you see the digital world going, I mean, it's still in its infancy. And are you encouraged by the direction it's going? Do you see momentum gaining more and more? Because you're in it. I mean, we're observers. Most people are just observers kind of outside looking in, whatever hits the media, whatever floats to the surface. I mean, listening to a podcast like this, you know, you learn about technology. But when you look at embracing blockchain full on or when you look at the model of investing in real estate via a platform such as Redium, I mean, you have to be very optimistic about the future. But what would you share with people? What would you say, this is coming, this is what you got to pay attention to? You know, is there some words of advice based on how much you're immersed in it right now that you're seeing that people in general aren't seeing? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a few things. And I think one of one of the biggest things is is the pace that technology is evolving is is very exciting. You know, it's almost as though we're now in a part of time where we can say, you know, if you can imagine it, you know, it's 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 eventually going to be possible, you know, within our horizon of you know, 30 years. And 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 what, what I'm trying to say is that that you know, one of the things that early technology people, when they were thinking, is they'd have to design something that in three years the components would be necessary. So I remember when Steve Jobs uh, in 1985 he went to a, des- a design conference and he said. I want to design a computer that I can put into a shoebox and ship it. And he was talking about the, the MacBook. And then he said, I want to design a computer that I can put into a Bible or a book and ship that. And he was talking about the iPad in 1985. And he said, how are we going to fit software on there? How are we going to do da, 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 da? He said, I'm challenging you guys to go out there and design that because I know that this is the product that's going to make the most impact on people's lives. And so I think the thing for people to look out for is that Ideas don't have to come from technical people. They really have to come from a place of understanding a marketplace, understanding the pain, and understanding that that solution will really make a revolution in wherever you're at. So whether it's business efficiency, saving lives, more transparency, et cetera, et cetera. I think we're now going into a new industrial revolution, which is a revolution of ideas, right? And an ideas economy and and understanding that you know cross-collaboration teams so really getting out there and like having your teams or your network or your people be from across different industries because those are the most uh, resilient teams or the teams that can really do things. Keeping in mind that it's always design focused, right? Making great products uh, starts with, with that side and then the technology second. And then the third thing I think is that when you look at blockchain, I think because again, we're in this amazing world where these social media and everybody can see everything that's going on to an extent. Obviously there's things under underwater that, that no one's seeing, but when the internet was first coming out, everyone was talking about email and everyone was talking about e-commerce and things like that. They weren't talking about, you know, encryption. They weren't talking about um, the internet protocol IP. So the interesting now is that because this blockchain technology came out at a time where it's the next phase of the internet and the actual technology is very exciting and interesting. I still feel that we're at a stage where everyone's really focused on the plumbing, right? And this is not my own quote. I, it's one of the, my favorite quotes that I heard last year about blockchain is that everyone's focused on the plumbing and arguing about how we should design the infrastructure. And, and it's almost on a level of a fetish, if I can say that. Um, you know, technologists are just loving that debate and just analysis paralysis. 
But really what we should be doing is talking about building the actual houses and the infrastructure on top, right? The products that people want to use. And that is, doesn't matter about the technology. So when you look at most apps, you know, there's, there's JavaScript, there's, uh, there's multiple different languages that people use. There's Python, uh, there's Android, there's Objective-C. But in the end, those are just the infrastructure. What you build on top of it is what's more important, whether it's a platform like Retium, whether it's an insurance app, whether it's a medical records app. So I think for people who are wanting to get into technology or wanting to get into blockchain technology, really focus on the applications, the pain points, what the gains are, uh, what, what the limitations are. And then once you look at that, blockchain is just one of many technologies that can be put forward. I think artificial intelligence might make an even bigger impact than blockchain technology uh, itself, just in, in, in the multiple ways that it, it can be put into current systems, right? And so when we're talking about real estate, we're talking about price predictions, we're talking about uh, insurance claims, we're talking about risk analysis, but then on the other side, when like I think AI and medicine is going to be, you know, is one of the biggest impacts and I'm super excited about what's happening there. You know, for example, just screening lab results, right? You know, an AI system can scan a million x-rays, compare them and, and you know, hit 80, 90% accuracy versus a, a doctor who might do a 60% diagnosis. That's a huge gain, right? So I think, you know, the AI coming in on that side is massive, whereas the, the blockchain on the other side will say, okay, how do we securely share and keep this data and, and, and keep it online? So those two technologies, massive. Uh, and, and again, but it just comes from the way that the average person can participate in technology is thinking about the way their life has pains or inefficiencies and you know what a world would look like with those efficiencies gained, and then the products uh, fall in between that. There's lots of opportunity, I think, for young people and parents. It's you know get technical, you know if 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 you have the time. Um, but you know people in general, if you have the time, learn, get technical, do some coding, do some designing, um, you know, pick up a few books. But if you do have kids, though, for 100, percent like I think that. We're heading more towards Star Trek than to some sort of, you know, disaster. And so you got to bet on that, right? You know, people always have this talk of like, what's the future of humanity, you know? And I think it's more towards Star Trek. And so if we're going that direction, I think we're going to need way more engineers, uh, way more technical people. And I think for young kids, it's just like learning a language. And and so, you know, we have French emerging, we have all these things. I think we need to really start looking at like, technology immersions for for schools, but I, I'm digressing a bit, but I think that's really where, especially for Canada, you know, we have a, I think, 50,000 to 100,000 job shortfall in tech and technical people, right? And so if we're looking at being competitive in the long run, we should really be looking at how we can have homegrown technical talent for us to remain competitive. And just quickly on, on that point around Canada and the shortfall of educated individuals in the world of technology engineers as one example you know you've traveled the world you're you know especially recently you know 30 countries what do you why what are you noticing is there a standout for you of where canada is ahead or lacking where do you see canada in the overall picture that you know you've experienced as you've kind of traveled the country talking about redium talking about the platform 
what are you noticing in other countries versus Canada? Where does Canada fit in the overall scope of things? Do you have a view of that, Michael? Uh, definitely, definitely. So I, I think, uh, okay, on technology, I think Canada is is up there. Uh, I think for its um, for its, its its size of population, I think we're we're batting above our weight for sure. And uh, just looking at the caliber of individuals coming out here, I think there's just not enough, right? I think the caliber is amazing, world class. I think there's just not enough on there, and I think that we suffer from the brain drain. So you get a lot of great, talented Canadians, whether it's hockey or whether it's technology, heading down south to the States. So uh, I think I mean, that's, that's one factor. I think in terms of values, I think Canada has a, an amazing even keel of values that even though we look at technology, we're not over-exploitative with it, um, if I can say that. I think that's brilliant. I think that's amazing. And I think that's something that, that we really can show the world is, Here's how you can be a capitalist country, but here's how you could kind of maintain your values. And I think that's, 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 that's very special for Canadians. And as we have companies that become world leaders, uh, that, that really can spread around. Um, but in terms of uh, a regulatory framework, I think an amazing safe country. I think Canada, maybe in Western Canada specifically, we have a very, very big emphasis on, on safety and regulation, which I think is very, very important, especially with what's happened with different financial markets. But on the side of innovation, I think because we are more traditional, more conservative, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, we, are, we are not the first place for all types of innovation to happen. We have an amazing uh, system of um, a, bu- a bureaucratic system. It may have some inefficiencies, but it's nowhere near what's happening in certain Asian countries, certain South American countries, certain African countries, right? Where the systems are either broken or so inefficient that they're causing harm. I don't think that's true of Canadian systems, or at least 90% of Canadian systems. There's obviously places where we have to improve, but things really work here. And so that idea of shifting some of the systems, it's going to take a little bit slower because they're like, we've built this up, we've done a really good job. So I think where Canada needs to shift is really balance the risk and reward that the states takes when they do venture capital and when they venture forth in terms of regulatory uh, changes and then consumer protection, right? And so that's really the fine line. Uh, So for example, you know, even in embracing digital currencies, Canada has a great banking system. We have things like uh, Interact e-transfer, we have credit cards. So we're not going to be the place to, and then also a lot of people do business locally within Canada. So we're not going to be the place to embrace uh, cryptocurrency or have that dying need. Whereas somewhere like Kenya, Kenya uh, actually got mobile money back in 2007, not a traditional cryptocurrency. They just, uh, it's called M-Pesa, where through your cell phone, that's a Nokia 3310 for people who remember that phone, like a brick phone uh, with, a, with just a black and white screen. Uh, you can text money back and forth to people kind of like PayPal, but it's directly connected. Uh, you have a digital bank account and then you can pull money out and load this at any convenience store, any corner store, any business can be registered to be a, a, a point of, of pulling money out or putting money in. And so now you had an economy where you had 60% of the, of the population in, two, in 2000 was unbanked. Uh, and, then, and then everybody was getting paid in cash for their wages. And so when they made this system, it transferred overnight 10 to 15 million users, $2 billion a day in transactions, and, and it created an infrastructure out of a need. Now, 
going back to my last earlier point, no one in Kenya was talking about, is this blockchain? What is the technology? They were just saying, wow, look at what this solution has done and look what it's done for people. And so that's where I think we're going to get when all where we're going to get when all the dust settles on blockchain and AI and all these technologies, they're going to run in the background and we're going to be more talking about, oh, isn't it amazing that I can have my medical records on my phone and if I change doctors, my records go with me? Or isn't it amazing that, you know, that, you know, my grandma and my, my little cousin who's 10 years old and someone in a foreign country can all own an income-producing property and talk about those stories rather than really focus on what the technology is. I mean, that's at least my opinion over the next little bit of time. And then that will really empower the next generation of visionaries to think from that perspective and, and be able to engage more people. Because I think when we focus on the technology a lot, especially with blockchain, it really turns some people on but then it really turns other people off. And then we lose the conversation around the, the advantages of what these technologies are doing for people. You know, and that's an interesting part of the conversation as well. You know, when we consider, if we focus on what the outcome is, as opposed to, you know, back to your point is we focus so much right now on the plumbing and making the plumbing wrong and all the design of the plumbing we because we're having these conversations. It's still new. We're not seeing necessarily the benefits, but I think you, you know, I, I consider it wasn't that many years ago as a, as a, as a property owner, as a landlord, now rental housing provider, I was getting checks that were post dated that I was having to go to the bank and deposit. Now I might've deposited them through my ATM, which was probably how I did it. Sometimes I went and stood at the counter. That was back in those years. I mean, now going to a bank is almost, it doesn't happen. I'm depositing my check. I'm either, either auto deposit or we're taking a picture of a check and it's depositing, but that's the outcome of, we don't we don't care how the plumbing works. We just now know that we have this really cool benefit, which means I don't have to go in a vehicle. I don't have to go to an ATM. I don't have to go stand behind a counter to deposit checks. I mean, that's just one really, really small example. It's a great of example. It's a great doing, example. You know? Yeah, I, I love that example. That's a that's a um, that's a great example. And and I think with that type of thinking, what I'm super excited about is ideas because I really see, you know, ideas like talent comes from everywhere. Right. And, and when we really get that takeaway that you don't have to be technical to have ideas, you don't have to be in, in certain areas uh, that you can really come up with certain ideas, you can validate them through pain points that, you know, we now have enough technology to really solve a lot of the world's problems. And, and now it's really the willpower and, and those other factors, but that should be something that's very encouraging and, and very exciting. And then if you add on top of that, I would say is that ideas come from anywhere, et cetera. But if you're already in an industry, so if you're already in real estate or you're in insurance or you're in tourism or you have those 20 years experience and you have seen it, you're in even, even, an even better position to be an innovator, right? Because you know it. Like, so what's happening in the industry, you asked me about who else is doing the certain things, is a lot of groups have come in specifically to blockchain um, having technology backgrounds. But then they're going into industries because they just think they are you know, big and sexy and there's great opportunity there, but they didn't take a t- the time to bring in the experts in those industries onto their teams. So I think that's the big factor of, of, of doing that. And then that's the other factor of and now you're seeing a lot of startups uh, with older people on the startup team. You know, there was that social media startup age where everyone was 21 years old and they were doing these startups, but that's because those industries are new and completely emergent. So the actual people who know best about social network and social media might be under 25 years old, right? 
But when you look at other industries, you better have some gray hairs in there, um, right? And you better go for people who have the experience because they've lived it. And then you're exponentially improving your product over time versus being a garage startup, being in stealth mode for years and then coming up with what you think people want. So I think that's been one of the, the big, big learnings that I'm seeing. And so you're going to see an, an older crowd coming into quote unquote startups. But some of the great research that's actually come out is that startups are way more likely to exceed if they have someone or people who are over 40 years old than if not. Right. And so that, 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 that's another thing that I've, I've been coming across as well. So at 60, I'm not becoming redundant. I'm actually maybe going up in value. Give, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like a good hair. wine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. More value. You yeah. know, Michael, uh, as we wind down the podcast, because and then this has been interesting because it's, a, it's a, actually quite a divergence from how I normally run the podcast, because usually I'm talking about more about the individual, in this case, Michael, but we're really talking about technology. We're talking about the Redium platform, and I'm I'm happy to go down that path. And it'll be interesting to see how my listeners uh, how my listeners view this. But I think it's such an interesting topic, and and because I'm an early adopter in technology overall, I believe I am to the degree at least I am. I, I'm excited about technology and where it can go. The Redium platform is really interesting because of the relationship that we have with you, and and also the relationship that we have to real estate and where we see real estate going in the future as well. But having said all of that, Michael, as we wind down the show, there's still, you know, I still have a kind of a little rapid fire question that I ask my guests all the time. And and I think, Perfect. and I think we should give this to you because it'll give some pe- people some insights into Michael a little bit more than I, I uh, than I've, than I've done on this particular show. So um, here's where we're going to start. What's the book that you're reading or that you like to gift? What are you reading uh, these days? So- Oh, so the two two different ones. So the book that I'm I'm reading now uh, is called Blitzscaling. Uh, it's by Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, uh, and it really talks about uh, the different stages of a company, and then when a company really goes for that hyper growth. And hyper growth is where you're you're compromising efficiency for gaining market share. But one of the the, the quotes I love best from the book is the different stages of a company. When you have a little startup, it's more like a family. Right. And so you're the head when you're like the founder or the, you're the head of a nuclear small family. And then when your startup grows a bit more from, you know, 10 people to 30 people, you're the head of a little village. And then after that, it becomes uh, a town and then a city and then a nation. Right. And through all those stages, the leadership has to morph to understand how to lead that emerging group from a family cluster to a nation state. Right. And I think that really, really just stuck in my wow. mind. Right. And, and, and then he has so many tidbits. So then that, that's, that's a really good uh, book, but the book I love to gift is tribes uh, by Seth Godin, because it just, you know, it just, that book really hit me. Um, and it says, you know, the world is waiting for you to lead them. And, but it really specifically more talking about finding your tribe, finding the people who are in your hobby or in your cluster, using the internet to do it. And, and then, and then participating in that network but ultimately understanding that if you can really understand the values of the group, how you can add value, you can ultimately carve your own group, lead it and, and, and do very inspirational things. And, and so one of, that's one of the books I like to gift. Wow. Cool. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote right now? I know you kind of quoted, but from the book, do you have an, uh, uh, do you have a inspirational quote that you kind of lean on? 
Yeah. So right now I, uh, I kind of have a, uh, it's more of a baseball quote and, uh, it's more, you know, where, we're at a stage, you know, I've been in a stage where, you know, lots in the technology world, in the startup world. And so, you know, super exciting, but also a reminder to be super humble. And so this is a quote um, from baseball from the old days, like Babe Ruth style. And it says, the only thing that matters is numbers, right? And so you put some numbers up on the board and then you're a player in the game and then you go for the Hall of Fame. And I think that really just resonates with me such that, you know, a lot of companies want to achieve massive, crazy, audacious goals, but really it just starts with where you are today. What have you done? What can you do? Get in the game, you know, join the ranks. And then, you know, you go for, for, for the big wins. And I think that just gives me uh, a calming because sometimes as a startup person, you know, you're anxious to achieve the big, big things, but really, you know, you pop champagne when you hit the first home run. You know, you don't, you're not waiting to break Babe Ruth's record. You know, it's like, that's, that's a whole different thing. It's like really in go incrementally, but actually celebrate every increment as a, as a major milestone. And, and it makes the journey much more enjoyable, right? Rather than just, you know, seeing this distant goal and, and, and grinding yeah. it out. Celebrate the wins along the way. That is really right. an important message there. So your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Oh, uh, room. If heaven exists. What do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Oh, wow. That's tough. Uh, everybody's welcome. Do you have a favorite tune? Uh, yeah, I, I really like Billy Joel. I like Vienna. Oh. I think that's... Uh, that's that's, an, that's an old songs. song. That's older than you are, dude. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love old music. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Do you have a favorite movie? Ooh, favorite movie. That's a that's a tough one. It's it's all goes by by genres, but I I like Memento. Okay, it's a classic thriller. Memento about the guy with short term memory loss uses photographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to piece together, yeah, that's a good one. That was a deep movie. Wow, like yeah. I, I remember watching that movie and went, "This is really quite deep." It's very deep, and I, yeah. I, you know, some I was always I was in theater and in when I was younger, and I. I I love watching uh, documentaries because just the density of content is, is really high. And some movies, I watch them, and especially Hollywood movies today, they're so predictable, the plot. Yeah. So it's a bit tough. Yeah. And so when I watched a movie like Memento, I was just like mind blown. I couldn't, I couldn't guess what was going to happen. I, I'm not, that to me is really entertaining. Favorite swear word? Uh, I don't know. Um... I think probably say Jesus a lot, uh, but maybe, I don't know, probably shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, recently I've had a number of guests that don't even have a swear, a favorite swear word. They don't, they're going, eh, I don't really even swear. Like I'm going, what the hell? Like I'm, yeah. you know, it depends on what the day I'm an F. It depends on the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael, as we wind it down, what are you grateful for today? So I'm super grateful to, to be in Canada uh, today, grateful to be able-bodied, grateful for the opportunities uh, that lie ahead and the people that are around me. So uh, I feel like it's been a great journey, you know, life journey to now, a great few years, but I feel like all the pieces are, have finally really fallen together where it's now just on me to, to, like I said, put some numbers up on the board. So yeah, feeling great. Awesome. 
Michael, I'm grateful for having you on the show. Today, I'm particularly grateful, as I always am, to be in Canada, but I'm definitely grateful for my wife, Stephanie, and family. That's what I'm feeling today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights and lots of wisdom, lots of knowledge, and lots to gain in this conversation called blockchain technology, Redium, the future of real estate. And I appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thanks, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.